Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Drew Huffaker. Today we're going to be studying 2 Nephi chapters 26 to 30. And these are pretty interesting chapters because Nephi has an amazing revelation and vision. A matter of fact, it starts in chapter 26 with right after the Savior has come to visit his people. And then he witnesses the destruction of his people. I can't imagine how he would feel. A matter of fact, we have, he tells us how he feels. He says, oh, the pain and the anguish of my soul for the loss of the slain of my people. For I, Nephi, have seen it and it well nigh consumeth me before the presence of the Lord. But I must cry unto my God, thy ways are just. Can you imagine how he must have felt? No, and he's just tearing every day. He is just doing everything he can to build his people, but to still see what's going to happen would just be so devastating and be very disheartening. So hard. But along with that, he gains a vision of why he's making these plates. And for me, that's kind of the hope that he has. And a lot of what we're going to be reading about and talking about is the future of the Book of Mormon and what Nephi sees as the future of this great book. But here in in basically 27 verse 11, we have this other view, which is one more of light and happiness. And he says, And the day cometh that the words of the book, which were sealed, shall be read upon the housetops, and they shall be read by the power of Christ, and all things shall be revealed unto the children of men, whichever have been among the children of men, and whichever will be even unto the end of the earth. So for me, this is kind of, you have the sad part that he got to see, but he also got to see the happy ending. Yes. The wonderful part about the Book of Mormon. Yes. And that is people, they will fall away for a while, but then they will be gathered in and things will all work out through Jesus Christ. (laughs) And we're going to see that this is kind of a theme for all of these chapters in that he starts with this darkness and then he brings us into the light of the second coming. And he shows us how we as individuals probably have this same journey where some of us might have darkness in that we're still trying to figure things out. We don't know exactly where our testimonies are or what we need to do to become a better person. And yet through the light of Christ, we're going to see that he also helps us understand what we must do to be able to have that happy, light-filled ending, which he talks (laughs) about here at the end. One of the stories that he talks about over and over again, though, is this of Professor Anton. And I do want to kind of talk about, he, he sees the three witnesses. He also sees this very specific story that happens with Martin Harris. And I'm sure that most of us are very familiar with the story. Also, it's found in Isaiah chapter 29. But in this uh, amazing story, which I think uh, we kind of have to remember how interesting it was that, you know, Martin Harris, we'll talk more about him when we talk about the Doctrine and Covenants, but Martin Harris took some of the translations that Joseph Smith had done And then he took it to this professor, Anton, Charles Anton. 
Now, when he took it there, you know, he originally, when the professor saw what the translation was, he goes, yeah, that looks like a great translation. And he signed a document saying that. And then he began to ask and said, well, where did you find these, this translation? And when he explained that an angel brought a book and the whole story, he said, give me that back. And he, you know, he says, then shall the learned say, I cannot read it when he's talking about the Book of Mormon. Now, the, I, I do want to add a little other piece to this story, because I think it is also kind of how we should view the Book of Mormon. We think of Professor Anton, Charles Anton, who read the, the book. He read, you know, just a part of it and said, yes, that's a true book. But when he heard the story, he became skeptical to the point where he said, okay, I'm not going to read it. All of us have that opportunity to say, am I going to read it or am I not going to read it? And the other part of the story that Richard Bennett, who's an LDS church history scholar, basically gave another dimension to the story. He said when Martin Harris went to New York, he not only went to Professor Anton, but he went to another professor as well, Professor Mitchell. Now, Professor Mitchell was the country's leading expert on the Rosetta Stone. So he also was an amazing scholar. And he also came and said the same thing. But what he said, Mitchell said that, yes, this was truly a good translation. And then he said, thus Mitchell had an intense interest in the hieroglyphic writing. Mitchell had been studying the origins of the American Indians for several years and had painstakingly developed his own two race theory of ancient America. Brother Bennett went on to say, his interest in the history of ancient American Indians was therefore at a peak when Harris showed him this transcript. And so we have these two men, both of them, you know, amazing professors, knowledgeable, and yet one chose not to read or to say that it was not true. But Mitchell did say this was true. And so I think that's the same thing we get to decide. Are we going to realize that the Book of Mormon is true? Are we going to, I mean, we have so many evidences that it's true. I sometimes question how can somebody not know <laughs> that it's true? Well, and especially because, um, you know, we're supposed to study it with our mind and in our heart. And all of this is talking about the scholarly work mind, that somebody right. is saying, yes, these really are a translation of an ancient record, those kinds of things. But when we say, um, how could people not believe it? They have to understand in their heart as well, right? They might think it's very interesting. It would have been um, wonderful to hear that Brother Mitchell mm -hmm. and ended up joining the church. <laughs> oh, I don't know that but, part of the story. But, but at least <laughs> the eventually. scientific side and yeah. the language side, it was a great verification. And isn't that interesting that he was at the peak of his um, understanding of there were two different people right. that so were living here. He, he got it. And so when he read the Book of Mormon, when he saw those same things, he was like, oh, yeah, no, I 100% <laughs> think that that's true. Yeah, I think that, that that's a wonderful added witness, isn't it? It is. Yeah, that's so great. Um, in 2 Nephi 27, 26, 
we learn that there will be a marvelous work brought to the people. Therefore, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people. Yea, a marvelous work and a wonder for the wisdom of their eyes and learned shall perish and the understanding of the prudent shall be hid. So when we think about this marvelous work and wonder that's going to come forth, we know that Jesus Christ is the very central focal point of that work. And there will be a coming forth of a book. And that book, as we know, is the Book of Mormon. And I think it's interesting to note that the marvelous work in that scripture that's going to come forth is the Lord's Church, the work of the Lord's Church in the latter days. And the wonder part of that phrase is that he invites all of us to be participants and to partake of the gifts that he is offering. So I love that, that it's going to be a wonderful, marvelous work and a wonder. And the Book of Mormon is such an important role in that work that's going to come forth. In 2 Nephi 28, 2, it reads, And the things which shall be written out of the book shall be of great worth unto the children of men, and especially unto our seed, which is a remnant of the house of Israel. Mariana, why do you think that the Book of Mormon is going to be of such great worth, especially to Nephites, people, when you said he just foresaw that they would be destroyed? Why is it going to be so important and um, of such great worth to them? Well, I think it's powerful for us to realize that sometimes we have just an earthly view of the Word, which is the Book of Mormon and our other scriptures, but the truth that's in, in here is not just based here on this earth. It is eternal truth. It is God's truth. And so because of that, these words and this doctrine is something that is forever. As we become covenant people and we gain an understanding of the covenant in the Book of Mormon, as we do that, we are able to bring others to Christ. And that is what missionary work here in the latter days and temple work is all about. And the Book of Mormon really helps us understand the purpose of that. Yes. And so I do believe that Nephi understood that even though all his people perished here on this earth, that through the latter day work that we will be doing in the temples and are doing, that his people would have an opportunity to come back to Christ. And that Jesus Christ is so generous and he wants to give us every single opportunity that we can to be saved and to come unto him and to follow him and to return to him and our Heavenly Father someday. And Nephi understands that, doesn't he? He, does. he understands that through the words of the Book of Mormon, it will in time come forth to his people and it will be a, a wonderful work for them. And they will have an opportunity to be saved, mm -hmm. which is so great. Um, another part of why the Book of Mormon is so important that it's coming forth in the last day is we know that Jesus Christ came and shared the fullness of his gospel during the meridian of time. And through the ages, it has been, it's been um, distorted. It has been changed. The, a lot of the precious truths that he first gave us have been taken away. And the Book of Mormon is going to help to restore those things. 
And this is the second time that he is reaching out to gather his people. We do know in 2 Nephi 29, Nephi prophesies that there will be much opposition to the Book of Mormon. And I think one of those reasons is because Satan has already convinced so many that there is no need for more revelation, that the Bible is enough. And um, that's that can really um, keep the word from spreading forth unless people realize that that's not all that our Heavenly Father has shared with us. Um, in Revelation 22, 18, this is a verse that a lot of people will quote when they are talking about the need for no other scripture. There's no need for any other scripture. And it reads, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. Now, Revelation has some pretty scary plagues. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> we talked about that last year. Yes. I would not want those plagues on me, that's for sure. <laughs> well, that's tr very true. But if you think about it from an academic standpoint, Revelations is not even the last book that was written mm -hmm. in the Bible. Bible scholars in and out of the church um, all agree that the Gospel of John was written after the book of Revelation. And also in Ezekiel, he prophesied that there would be additional scripture. And I think that's really important that we remember that. In Ezekiel 37, verses 16 through 17, it reads, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it, for Judah and for the children of Israel his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it, for Joseph the stick of Ephraim, and for all of the house of Israel his companions, and join them together Join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. And when we hear references to the stick, that means the scriptures, right? Mm -hmm. Definitely. And right there, it's very clear that there will be the stick of Judah, which is the Bible, the stick of Joseph, which will be the Book of Mormon. And we learn in Second Nephi 29, 7 through 11, that we are not the only ones that have received or have records of God's dealings with his people. He reminds us that there will be many records coming forth. So it's not even going to be just the stick of Judah and just the stick of Joseph. I think it's fascinating to think, well, first of all, we know the Book of Mormon has a sealed portion that has not even been um, translated at all. Yeah, right. it hasn't been translated yet. No. I wonder sometimes if maybe, and this is all speculation, I wonder if the, the sealed portion will be for us during the millennium. Maybe it's things... I think that would be wonderful. <laughs> I think oftentimes when you talk about all those other records, we have to ask ourselves, how well are we reading this record? <laughs> and until we show yeah. that we can read this record well, I don't know if we'll get all those other records until we show that we'll read what we have. Yes, that's very true. If we're not paying attention to the word of God we already have, why would he keep giving He'd us give more? Give us more, I yes. agree. But we do have the Doctrine and Covenants. We, we have do. the Pearl of Great Price. There are many witnesses that will point to our Heavenly Father and his great plan. 
So in the verses in chapter 29, verse 7 through 11, I'm just going to summarize some of the things he teaches us concerning records that will be brought forth. So first of all, if you think about it, God remembers his children in all nations and sends his word to all people. It wouldn't be very fair if he just came to the Jews and only to the Nephites, right? He has children all over the world, and they need to have his word. And he does. He sends his word to all people. People should not murmur when they receive more of the word of the Lord. Now, if you think about that, I was considering the words we get at General Conference. Right. Those are the word of the Lord. And sometimes things change. Sometimes the direction that we're asked to go or something administratively changes. And I think we need to embrace all of the words of the Lord that we receive and, and be willing to do Definitely. that. Um, the Lord speaks the same words to all nations. I love that when we study the Book of Mormon, it has a familiar spirit, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It teaches the same doctrine of Christ. It would be terrifying if everybody had records that were contradictory to the words in the Bible or in the Book of Mormon. But he speaks the same words. The plan of salvation is for all men. Um, people should not assume that the Bible contains all of the Lord's words and that the Lord has not caused more words to be written. And Nephi is talking about all of these in the scriptures. I'm just giving a little summary of what he's teaching. The Lord commands all people to record his words. They will be judged out of the books that are written. Because if you have the law, there's accountability, right? And Whether you read it or not. Yes. You know, so you better read it. Because <laughs> you'll be held accountable. Yes, that's very true. And that um, the scriptures will witness in the last days um, as combined in one, as we just read it in Ezekiel, they'll be rolled together. And the scriptures from all nations will show that the Lord is God. So the Book of Mormon is awesome. It is awesome. And I can, you know, every single time I hold my quad that has <laughs> the Book of Mormon, the you know, the, the Bible, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl Great Price, the whole thing in one. <laughs> I just love that Ezekiel scripture because that's what I feel like this is this is the fulfillment yes, of that scripture. Absolutely it is. You know, when we talk about this, how the Lord asks all to come unto him, in Second Nephi twenty six thirty three, he says, uh, when he says to come unto the Lord, he says he invited them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness, and he denieth none. Come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female, and he remembereth the heathen and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. Now, as we talk about coming unto him, that is definitely a theme also at the Book of Mormon. So we have our first, you know, prophet, first writer prophet of the Book of Mormon, Nephi, who here at the end of his life is saying how important it is that we come unto Christ. If we go to the very end of the Book of Mormon, in terms of our final prophet of the Book of Mormon, Moroni, and these are the very last words that he gives to us, he also here bears the same kind of a testimony. It's almost exactly the same testimony. He says, Yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in him, 
and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And if you shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is his grace sufficient for you, that by his grace ye may be perfect in Christ. And if by the grace of God ye are perfect in Christ, ye can and no wise, no wise, that's an interesting word, <laughs> no wise or no way deny the power of God. Well, I was thinking about this idea of saying, come unto Christ. And I loved a talk that Sister Cardin gave in General Conference just a few years ago. And the title of the talk is Come Unto Christ and Don't Come Alone. So when we talk about coming unto Christ, we can't come unto Christ by ourselves. We have to have other people with us. And she said, remember the best way for you to improve the world is to prepare the world for Christ by inviting all to follow him. Together, we will advance his purpose until that great day when Christ himself returns to this earth and calls each of us to come hither. We will joyfully gather together, for we are those who come unto Christ and we do not come alone. One of my favorite uh, scriptures that I used to read every single time our new missionaries would come in, we would have a little meeting with them their first day here in Brazil. And I would read them this scripture. And this scripture talks specifically about Nephi as an example of missionary work. And it says, this is 33, eight through 10. Open your mouths and they shall be filled and you shall become even as Nephi of old, who journeyed through, through from Jerusalem in the wilderness. Yea, open your mouths and spare not, and ye shall be laden with sheaves upon your back, for lo, I am with you. Yea, open your mouths and they <laughs> shall be filled, saying, Repent ye, repent ye, and prepare ye the way of the Lord. So why do you think the Lord is saying this is specifically to missionaries, saying, you know, and not, not just missionaries, we are all missionaries. Yes, Anyone who's a member of the church is a missionary. And so why is he saying missionaries should be like Nephi of old? He, well, he says it over and over again, open your mouth. And Nephi was not shy about opening his mouth and sharing what he was feeling and what he felt was important. And I love that direction. Because so many times we want to go along in our life, and it's a little scary, isn't it, to open it's our mouth? Hard. It's we're, hard. It's not easy. We're afraid of rejection. We're, think, we're afraid of what people might think of our beliefs or <clears throat> of Jesus Christ in general. And I think we hesitate, but he's telling us over and over and again, just open our mouth and they will be filled with the words of, of Christ. Well, and that's the beauty. We were talking um, a couple of weeks ago about agency and about how we have the opportunity to choose. We also have the opportunity to choose whether we're going to believe. But we as Latter-day Saints must open our mouths. I mean, obviously, I mean, I love that scripture because <laughs> he says it over and over again to just repeat of how important it is. We, we must open our mouths so that we can go and help people come unto him. That is our purpose. But it's not always easy, but also not everybody listens to us. And that becomes the hard part, is the, the slam doors in our face, the going, 
to uh, home to home to home and nobody is listening to the message. And why do you think that's the case? Why do people not listen? A lot of times I think we feel like we already have our faith. Some people think I already believe in God. There's nothing you're going to teach me that's new. And, you know, it's, it's so different from what I've been raised with that I just am not interested in it. And I think, you know, people always say you're not supposed to talk about politics or religion. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Because that's how you will make friends or make enemies very quickly oh, yeah. because people are so passionate about both of those subjects. But I still think we've just got to open our mouths, don't we? We do. And that goes to the next part that Nephi talks about. He talks a lot about apostasy. And he likens that unto being drunk or being in a deep sleep. And I know that a, a lot of us don't have a lot of... Uh, experience with with drunk I, hopefully <laughs> i'm hoping but it was interesting when we were in brazil there were a lot of drunken people in sao paulo and it it was fascinating to me to see how people act when they're drunk because to be perfectly honest i had not been around many drunk people before that and usually they just do not have any idea of what is going around them I mean, they, they really don't. And their mind is so fuzzy that oftentimes when they come out of that drunken state, they don't even remember what they did, what they said, mm -hmm. what happened. And so the same thing's true when you think of a deep sleep. You know, when you're in a deep, deep, deep sleep, it's kind of hard sometimes, especially if you have vivid dreams, to know what's the difference between reality and what's the difference between not. And we have to wake up to be able to truly understand what reality is. Well, he uses this exact same analogy. He says, for behold, the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep. For behold, ye have closed your eyes. Ye have rejected the prophets and your rulers and seers. Hath he covered because of your iniquity? And so we have the responsibility to determine if we are going to be sober and if we are going to awake so that we're able to listen to what the Lord is trying to teach us. Because we it's our responsibility. It's not the Lord's responsibility. He's there waiting for us, and we are the ones that need to make that choice. Yes, absolutely. Yes, we do. Mariana, do you know, this is kind of off topic, but do you happen to know what a game film is? Well, I know you <laughs> kind of told me that you're going to ask me this question, and to be perfectly honest, the first time you asked me, I didn't know. But then I thought of my sons. I do have some sons that have played football. Uh -huh. And before they would go to a game, oftentimes they would watch game, you know, films of the opposing team, trying to figure <laughs> out what they can do to do better. And so I, you know, I thought that was interesting, this whole idea of watching your enemy, you know, being aware of how you're opponent is going to, you know, come after you. Well, exactly. And you can, when you watch those films from your competitors, um, you can see where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are, kind of the moves they're going to make on you. And you can come up with a strategy on how to combat their uh, offense, right? Right. And when we got to Second Nephi 28, it started me thinking about these game films. And this is kind of Nephi telling us 
This is the strategy of Satan. This is Satan's game plan and his game film. And he's telling us this is what he's going to try to do. And he warns us so that we can have strength and have strategy on how to counteract his offenses toward us. So in 2 Nephi 28, um, we can learn a lot about, like we said, how to face that opposition that Satan will throw at us so that we are not deceived. And in chapter 28, he teaches us that contention will exist amongst the churches in the last day. Many will say that they are the church of the Lord, but there won't be any foundation. They will be teaching the philosophies of men mingled with scripture, and there will be a lot of false doctrines that will be taught. He tells us that pride is going to be one of the, the tactics that Satan will use to distract us and make us feel like we don't need a, the gospel, we don't need God, we're doing fine by ourselves. And Satan will also stir hearts to anger, or he'll pacify us and say, all is well, you don't need to worry about anything, or he'll flatter them away from God. So those chapter 28 is just filled with the strategies that Satan will try to use on us. But Elder Gary E. Stevenson shared a talk with us called Deceive Me Not. And this is a quote from his talk. Satan, the father of lies and the great deceiver, would have us question things as they really are and either ignore eternal truths or replace them with something that appears more pleasing. He maketh war with the saints of God and has spent millennia calculating and practicing the ability to persuade God's children to believe that good is evil and evil is good. So we have to remember, we are playing with somebody who's experienced. He oh, has yeah. been practicing. He's really good at his game, but we are um, coached along by prophets, by the words of the Lord on how to overcome Satan so that we can come out conquerors in the end. Well, and along with that, it's interesting that, as I said before, we have the opportunity to choose how we're going to react mm -hmm. in terms of the way Satan is going to come against us, but also when we hear the truth, and maybe the truth isn't in line with our lives right then. And it's hard to change. It's really hard to change. And so when we get truth that says, okay, you're not doing the right thing, you need to change this part of your life, it is really, really easy to either get angry or to say, well, I already have some truth. I don't need any more truth. No, I'll just hold on to the truth I have. And yes. that's enough for me. And that's kind of what the, the Lord also says here. I mean, Nephi says through the, the Lord's words, he says in verse 28, and in fine, woe unto all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built upon the rock and the rock, as we're going to hear as we read more, especially in 31 to 33, next time, the rock is the doctrine of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Receiveth it with gladness, and he that is built upon a sandy foundation. So the sandy foundation is this just partial truth. That's the sandy foundation. Trembleth lest he shall fall. And then he says, woe be unto him that say, we have received the word of God and we need no more of the word of God for we have enough. 
So that goes back to this point that you made about having additional scripture that sometimes people will say, well, look, we already have the Bible, you know, a Bible, a Bible. We have a Bible. We don't need, you know, additional scripture. And the Lord saying that's a, a, a sandy foundation. That is something that if we just say, OK, I don't need any more truth. This is all I need we're going to fall. Yes. And and I don't want people to think we only need the Book of Mormon because we need the Bible as well, that the two together are gathered in one to mm-hmm. testify of truth. So we need to embrace all of the word of God that we receive because it will it will help us to understand exactly what the Lord's plan is for us. And that goes right along too with this idea of line upon line, precept upon precept, And as we think about receiving more and more truth, I also focus on our Latter-day Prophets and how every single time general conference happens, we need to be listening carefully in terms of what new truths are being taught us. Yes, and I love what you said that why would he give us more word? Why would he give us more scripture if we're not paying attention to what we already have? And Mm -hmm. I love this scripture, 2 Nephi 28, 30 that teaches us, for behold, thus saith the Lord God, I will give unto the children of men, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little, and blessed are those who hearken. What does hearken mean again? It means listening and doing. Yes. Both together. And lend an ear unto my counsel, for they shall learn wisdom. For they, for unto him that receiveth, I will give more. And from them that shall say, we have enough, from them shall be taken away even what they have. So you're exactly right. We have to to take the Lord's word a little bit at a time. We have to listen to it and heed it and live it. And then he will keep giving us line upon line. Well, and that being said, when we come to the end of this beautiful series of scriptures, If we turn to chapter 30, we begin to see a glimmer of light, you know, so it's been so all these warnings and telling us about how Satan's going to get us and (laughs) how, you know, there's so many people that aren't going to believe in the Book of Mormon and kind of looking at all these negatives here at the end, as we look at especially chapter 30, Nephi gives us hope and a lot of light. And so I love that idea of darkness into the light. So in 30 verse 2, he says, Behold, I say unto you that as many of the Gentiles as will repent are the covenant people of the Lord, and as many of the Jews as will not repent shall be cast off. For the Lord covenanteth with none, save it be with them that repent and believe in his Son, who is the Holy One of Israel. So we become his covenant people as we come unto Christ and also as we live the covenants. Now, where do we receive covenants? (laughs) Well, covenants begin with baptism. It does. And then where do we get the other saving grace covenants? (laughs) Leading question there. Leading question. In the temple of the Lord. (laughs) You know, I think that, you know, I just love those Sunday school answers because oftentimes, you know, we... They are the right answers. They are the the ones that are always the answer. And the temple, for me, is always the answer. Matter of fact, President Nelson 
just loves temples. If you can't tell it the way every general conference, we have more and more temples. I mean, 40 last general conference that were announced. I mean, it is so exciting to be alive during these latter days and see temples dotting the whole earth. But President Nelson said everything we believe and every promise God has made to his covenant people come together in the temple. In every age, the temple has underscored the precious truth that those who make covenants with God and keep them are children of the covenant. And that's exactly what Nephi saw, was he said, you know, you Gentiles, you may not have been in, you know, you may not be a Jew, but you are covenant people because you have kept the covenants of the temple, covenants of baptism. Now, I also want you to think about how Nephi, back, you know, uh, quite a few chapters ago, when he separated himself from Laman and Lemuel, the first thing that they did when they were living the manner of happiness was to build a temple. And that, for me, is such a powerful thing for us to remember that the covenant path, it's always taking us to the temple, always taking us to the temple. And... I loved Sister Emily Freeman's talk because she answered the question, why should I walk the covenant path? And I think sometimes that's a question that a lot of people have that goes back to that question of, I don't need more truth. You know, I don't need more scripture. And she, she answered it this way. She says, I walk the covenant path as a beloved daughter of heavenly parents, divinely known and deeply trusted. As a child of the covenant, I am eligible to receive promised blessings. I have chosen to walk with the Lord. I walk this path with Jesus Christ, looking forward to the promised day when he will come again. Then I will be sealed his and lifted up as a holy daughter of God. So, Drew, how have you walked the covenant path? And what is your thoughts? How would you answer that same question? Why should I walk the covenant path? Well, I love all, I love Sister Freeman, first of all. She is just an incredible woman and has such wonderful insights. But I think she, she explains our relationship with our Heavenly Father, that we are beloved daughters of God. And he wants us to have everything he has. And the only way he can do that is by us making and keeping sacred covenants with him. And they begin with baptism and they go through to the crowning um, ordinances in the temple of sealings to be sealed with our families forever. And I keep my covenants because of the hope in Jesus Christ that he has given us, that this is all he has to offer us. He's willingly sharing that and inviting every single person on the earth to come to the temple and to receive the ordinances of salvation. And all of those things that we've been promised are worth whatever we have to do here. Exactly. And it might world. be sacrifice, it yes. might be difficulties, but the promise is sure. And that's how basically Nephi leaves us. He leaves us here in verse 17. He says, there is nothing which is secret, save it shall be revealed. There is no work of darkness, save it shall be made manifest in the light. And there is nothing which is sealed upon the earth, save it shall be loosed. So he is looking for the brighter day. He is looking for the day when the Savior 
will rule upon the earth. And he is saying that day of hope, that day of gladness, that day of light is the day that we are all working towards. Yes, absolutely. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> I, I agree. And that makes me so happy because that's the way Nephi ends. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a hallelujah, Hosanna, you know, Christ will save us kind yes. of a feeling, yes. which is so, so beautiful and so wonderful. Well, sisters, we love you. We think you're wonderful and we hope to see you next time. Bye-bye.